Good. Dads, um, man, it's, it's good to be a dad today. Uh, moms, you had your day. In fact, you have your other 364 days. This is it. This is all we've got. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to be together, whether you're joining us online or here in the room or in the car. Or This is kind of interesting for a dad. You can be on the boat right now and still in church. This is a bad habit. We could mess this thing up. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Judges chapter 7. Excuse me, I did that in the first service too. Matthew chapter 7. We're talking about judging today <clears throat> as we walk through that. Um, you know, I want you to know my dad and my grandfather, Pappy, uh, we grew up uh, a fishing family. We had a pond in the backyard. I am not a fisherman. I'm not good at fishing. Um, and I think it's their fault. That's where I do with all of my sins. I blame it on someone else. It makes me feel better. But um, my pappy had a pond in his backyard, and we had a cane pole and a string on it and a hook, right? And this is how I learned to fish growing up. You put a worm on the hook, a cane pole, you just dipped it in the water, and a catfish bit it, and you pulled it out, right? Or if you weren't deep enough, a brim bit it, and you pulled it out. That was how it worked. I just thought fish liked to be caught growing up. Um, come to find out, that's not the case. Uh, my pappy stocked his pond and my son growing up he wanted to learn how to fish so I thought I can teach you how to fish you take a cane you put a string on it you put a hook on that you put a worm on the hook and a fish bites it they they like to be eaten it's I, God made them that way and let me tell you what it doesn't work that way do you know that do you, do you have you realized that yet so so um Connor and I, I I did learn he he won a pocket knife at a fishing competition at a father-son retreat one time because we learned there were four brim that lived under the dock at this pond that were just dumb and we caught the same four over and over till we hit 28 29 fish so he won the competition we were pulling up fish that had like eight hooks marks in their body it was amazing that night and so I I now remember our times of fishing really well together and uh, a friend of mine said once upon a time do you want to go deep sea fishing and we were like we've never been deep sea fishing deep sea fishing we would love to go now just in case you want me to go with you we don't like it but we went but we didn't know before this but we went out there in the middle of the ocean and my buddy stops the boat in the middle of the the gulf and he says this is a good spot and I'm looking around like what does it matter it's all water like this water looks like that water deep and dark are you with me He's like, anybody want to jump in? I'm like, have you seen Jaws, Piranha, any of those movies named after people dying in the water? Like, we don't know. We're not jumping in. And so he stops and he gets his paddle, no joke, and he beats on the side of the boat and he throws some fish food out. No, no kidding. In, in moments, there are 20 ling about this big, 20 fish this big, just swimming next to the boat. Like they're saying, catch me, catch me. I'm like, wow, the fish whisperer. And so he gets the pole. He said, are you holding? I'm holding the pole. He gets the string and he says, which one do you want? That looks like a good one. He puts it down. The fish takes it. We got the, the pick of the litter. I mean, we, we caught a fish as tall as my son that day. It was amazing. Now, let me tell you what. This fish that was so excited to be rescued from the dark water. The moment he grabbed the hook, he realized he would have to submit his will and his plan for his life and that another was going to be in control. What do you think he did? He disagreed with that statement, right? He battled, he fought for 45 minutes. It really would have caught, taken less time, but I forgot to lock my will into place. So I was just doing nothing for about 15 minutes. So 45 minutes, we're trying to get this fish in. 
And, and, and it's interesting, this fish for 45 minutes was trying not to submit. What it was so hungry for in the beginning, it now wanted no part of. Man, is the Christian life that way sometimes? Like, let's pretend for one moment we have something in common with this fish. That your life and my life is surrounded and steeped by a sin that we can't get away from. If left to our own devices, we will live and die in the dark murkiness of our sin. We will not know that there is light. We will not know that there is more. But Jesus Christ because of the Father's hand, came into our dark, murky world and said, freedom lies on the other side. Just submit to me. And that moment we took a hold of the gospel, we realized we have a problem because what Scripture tells us is our will is incompatible with His will and the only way out is submission. And we have this pain. I've never been a fish, but I have been hooked fishing. Amen? Does it feel good to get a hook in your skin? It does not. I, I want to get it out as quick as possible. And so the only way for the fish to get the hook out of its mouth is to stop struggling because when you put the fish on the boat, you take the hook out. Now, unlike us, Jesus is not going to eat you when you surrender to him. He has plans for you, a life and a future. But, but in our life, we submit to the joy of Christ in the moment and then we're tempted to struggle with him, to have our will and our feelings to get rid of our pain in the way that we want to. And the only thing we're doing is making our journey miserable, fighting when we could be living life to the fullest with Christ. See, Dad, next time you go fishing, just tell your wife, there's a Jesus moment in here somewhere, honey, I promise. As we look at living the kingdom life, we can't have it both ways. We are not called, it is not okay, to live in the flesh and in the spirit. It's incompatible. It is incompatible for you and I to serve our own will, to inject our own plans and our thoughts, and to live a life honoring to the Lord. It doesn't work. That's, this is what what uh, I keep saying judges, but Matthew chapter 7 is about. Just read the first verse with me. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, this is what it says. Judge not that you not be judged. I learned it to King James, judge not lest you be judged. You know, <clears throat> Jesus speaks in the moment of this kingdom life conversation. He says, judge not lest you be judged. And I've heard this thrown around 3,000 times all over the place. Does this mean that we are not supposed to say anything? There is no absolute truth. We can't stake our feet on the ground. Does this mean that we should let everyone do what's right in their own eyes? That's the book of Judges as it comes into play. Should, does it mean that we have nothing thing to stand on not at all because judgment biblically is is kind of categorized into two parts judgment that is biblically or judging that is biblically promoted and judgment that is biblically prohibited how is judging biblically promoted in john chapter 7 jesus who spoke this word himself proclaims that we are not to judge by appearances but to judge with right judgment. You see, Jesus calls on us to exercise right judgment. In other words, judgment in decision-making that honors him. In Acts chapter 16, verse 15, the apostles and disciples are all together. 
and we see that Gentiles are becoming believers and they're not Jews and do they need to hold themselves to all the laws of the Jews so that they can be accepted into the Jewish Christian you know, collaboration here? And what happens? The disciples say, listen, we're going to judge not to burden the Gentile converts with this same law that we can't handle ourselves. We, we judge, our judgment is in decision making, not in condemnation. Romans chapter 12, verse, thir- verse 3, Paul says we are to think with sober judgment. So listen, we are supposed to use biblical judgment which is right and sober judgment in decision-making. Otherwise, we would have nothing to take every thought captive before. So, so don't get me wrong, right? Um, girl, daughter, listen, I have two kids, um, one older, one younger. My daughter's older, my son's younger. Um, there, there's a look that your lo- older sibling got in their eye. My brother had it too. When he is asking or she is asking their younger sibling to come do something that is bad for them. Do you remember that look? Like, hey, David, come here for a second. Let me show you. Hey, Connor, would you try this? There's a look. Biblical judgment says no. Biblical judgment says you don't intend to help me. You intend to harm me. That's biblical judgment. That's promoted. When, something, when someone is doing something that is against the word of God, we are called to exercise biblical judgment, deeming the decision to follow them or to give in to that or to affirm that as wrong. That should be the case. So then what does judge not lest ye be judged, come into it. How does that work? Well, that's what's biblically prohibited. You see, the difference between judging in your decision-making and passing judgment is a, is a wall, isn't it? You see, when we're judging in decision-making, we are using God's word to direct our life so that we can make decisions that honor him. We're judging But when we are passing judgment, that's biblically prohibited. Everywhere, passing judgment is biblically prohibited. Why? Because when we pass judgment, we proclaim a sentence, right? Someone is not worthy to be king. That's what the people thought of David, his own dad, Father's Day 101. Someone comes to ordain one of your son's kings and you leave one in the field because he's obviously not it. That's a winner for self-esteem building, right? And, and he leaves him out. Samuel says, okay, is this all you've got? Because God told me to come here and something's not right. And Jesse says, well, I've got this one kid. <laughs> Bring him here. Don't judge someone on the outside. God judges the heart. When you and I pass sentence on someone or something as unredeemable, then what we do is we come to the table that the Lord has invited us to and we sit in his chair. Right? When when we sit down in our chair passing judgment, we are acting as the authority that we have proclaimed in our heart that we submitted to. So, So let's pretend how this affects us in the real world. Let's pretend someone walks in today wearing Yankees paraphernalia, top to bottom, and you walk in. What do you think? Proud of you for being bold? Or, hmm, you need Jesus, otherwise we'd have words. Do you pass judgment? 
How about Astro stuff? We were in Toronto for a game one time. We saw a guy on the street in Astro's clothes. We were like, what's up? It's the best. Like, I love you. It's wonderful. He could have just beaten three people up on the way in, right? He could have just stolen that jersey off a poor guy on down the street. We don't know him, but we just pass judgment. We just decide. One of my favorite stories growing up was Connor. We got a phone call from, from uh, Connor's teacher in school when he's a kindergartner. And, and he had a shirt like this, and he's walking up to the teacher, and he goes, ma'am, this was in my crayon box. Can I throw it away? And she picked it up, and it was a burnt orange crayon. She said, yes, you can throw it away. We, we teach people how to judge, don't we? You're passing judgment. Someone walks in wearing a Black Lives Matters, the movement shirt. Do you pass judgment? How about a red cap that says MAGA? We're so good at sitting in the seat of, a seat of authority that we don't belong in, amen? I know, it was fun when it was the Yankees. I get it. But our country is thriving on sitting at the table in the Lord's seat right now and, and you and I are called not to take the, the Father's chair. Do you, do you know that? Are you with me? Does everyone know that Jesus is your Lord and not your homeboy? Everybody okay with that? Does everyone know that Jesus is your king and not your servant? Are you aware of that? then you and I should know that passing judgment sitting in the seat of our Savior is pretending to be someone we're not. It's fighting that our will be done while lip servicing your will be done. You and I can't have it both, both ways. Judge not because it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to you. Verse two, we'll move on before I get stuck. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, you use, it will be measured to you. With the judgment you judged, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Don't miss the potency of the wisdom of God here and the power of God in this statement. Don't, don't do it. Don't sit in God's seat and pretend to be him passing judgment saying so-and-so is unredeemable, so-and-so belongs in the pit of hell, so-and-so doesn't worthy. Oh, but this person, they're way worthy. What the Bible says is don't miss God. God's word here. The potency is obvious. When, when you, have you ever sat in dad's seat? Do y'all have a dad's seat in your house, like a chair? And listen, at our, at our house, on, like on the bed, we have mom's side of the bed and dad's side of the bed. Have y'all, y'all have that at your house, some of your houses? Have you ever laid on a wrong side, men? That's a bad day. Kids, have you ever sat in dad's chair? It's like, oh, that's so cute. Get up. <laughs> right? Funny joke. Move. God says, if you want to play this game and you want to sit in my chair and you want to act as authority, then guess what? I'm in. I'm in. You sit there and judge. I, the righteous, almighty, everlasting God, will allow you to feel the potency of what it's like to pretend you are me. 
and I will judge you by that same measure. Who could stand? Who could stand? This by itself should stop us from declaring judgments on people. By itself saying, God, I do not want you to judge me by this halfway, half-baked standard that I use to proclaim my authority over others through opinion, conversation, or punchline. Instead, I'm backing away. That should be enough. But do you know dad wisdom is, is, kind, of, is kind of layered, isn't it? We were talking about this earlier. Have you ever said, dads, this is such a great privilege. So your child asks you why, and you said, because I said so. Doesn't it feel good? It didn't feel good as a kid. But as a dad, it feels good because I said so. My authority is enough. Right? Normally we say that on the eighth time a child asks a question. Right? Just for dad help, you're not your wife's dad, doesn't work the same. Right? So, honey, why do you want to do this? Because I said so. Oh, bless your heart. Funerals at, tomorrow at seven. Right? We're in that. But there's wisdom in this. Don't, don't miss the potency, but don't miss the wisdom either when it says, for with judgment you pronounce you'll be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Think of that now. Don't think of it just eternally. There's a tit for tat going on in our world, isn't it? it it's this, it's, it sounds like this in your home. She hit me first. Well, he hit me harder. Well, she's been mean to me for a month. Well, I, can't, I, see, I see family pointing here, right? In the middle of all this stuff, what do we do? My action is justified by your action, but it's justified by your action. It was justified by your action, and now it's justified by their action. Have you read this article on, on, on sibling abuse? You know, we, we just, we find ourselves in this tit for tat, this justification of my judgment. And what the Bible says is, when you and I, in this world, when we walk around passing judgment on others, it will be passed back to us. Man, I read an article last week. It made my heart happy because a few years ago, the Astros did something. We have to own it. They cheated, didn't they? If you don't believe they're cheater, they cheated. Um, I understand that, but the earth is round too. It's just true whether you think it is or not. And they could have won without cheating. I'm all for it, but they did it. And one of the Yankees members, when they found out the Astros were cheating, they said, wait, what? On their, on their Instagram or Twitter thing. Well, this week, do you know what happened? The MLB said there's a letter. And that letter shows that the MLB may have implicated or may have covered up the Yankees cheating a little bit. And the Yankees have, have sued so that that letter should not be out because it could hurt their reputation. And one of the Astros said, wait, what? It's, it's almost like, well, they cheated. No, but you cheated. Well, and no kidding, the Yankees release a, an article or some newspaper does that says, if you look at the statistics, the cheating the Astros did was more successful than our cheating. Back off. Listen, if you're a bad cheater, that says something else. <laughs> 
But how does the tit for tat end? It doesn't. Because your cheating justifies my cheating, justifies your cheating, justifies my cheating. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you. You rioted, so I need to get in and I need to, to point you out. You said the ugly things, so therefore I need to speak out and, and push you down. You did, can you see our world in this tit for tat right now? It's almost like someone says one side and we believe that it's our God-given right. In fact, the Holy Spirit is commanding us not only to not affirm what someone says, but to show there's another side to the story. And God has placed it on my shoulders. Not to reconcile the lost, not to speak the gospel truth that changes lives, but to show you that there was a grandma in South Texas that did the same thing. Man. You see how easily we get caught up into this dark, murky water that Jesus has saved us from? Just passing judgment. I have a right. I have a right to be mad. You think you have a right to be mad? I've got a right to be mad. Church, you and I have not been saved for the kingdom life in order to find ourselves caught in what Christ calls us not to get caught up in. Have you, have you thought that moment? Have you had a pause to consider this isn't going to work out? Have you ever had that moment? Like you were about to post something on Facebook and right before you push the button, you thought, this isn't going to end well. This is going to make people upset. This is going to be, and almost like if you don't push that button in the next nanosecond, the Holy Spirit's going to stop you. So as fast as you can, you push that button. Why? Whew, let it fly. Hey, get your backside out of the pastor's, out of the, out of the master's chair, out of the Lord's chair. Passing judgment does not bring glory to Jesus. Showing judgment, that glorifies the Lord. Verse 3 and verse 4. Why do you see that? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But don't notice the log that's in your own. Or how can you say to the, the brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Church, we cannot help another brother or another sister who is struggling. We can't help the lost see the light when we are harboring the sin in our life when we are giving a safe haven to it, when we are justifying why we are mad, why we aren't following through, while we're acting the way that we're acting, while we're dropping the ball. If we keep justifying all of our failings, we are not helping, we are harboring. And that's what the gospel came to set us free from so that we wouldn't be harborers of sin. One author said it this way, it's brilliant. It says, the critic who is blind to his or her own failings is living in a make-believe world where someone, where the one can exempt himself from standards which are expected of others to conform to. We are living in a make-believe world when we are blind to our own and exempt ourselves because we know us. We know our story. We know what we've been through. 
and yet we hold others accountable and we expect them to conform. Do you understand and I understand that every single person who's ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, that your past and your country's past and your culture, that it is steeped in sin. Do you know that? That, that America, and I love our country, it, it, it's had Christian believers and there have been revivals, but there's been sin from the beginning. We aren't the new Jerusalem. Oh, shoot, some of you just left. Have you figured that out? But that doesn't make it right, and that doesn't give us a right to say, well, your culture didn't either. Church, you and I need to understand that there is no help for a blind life in Christ. It doesn't work. Dad, when you and I look at this and we read these words, why do you see your speck in a brother's eye, but you're blind to the log in your own eye? Let... How can you say to someone, let me help you get that speck out of your eye while you leave the log in it? Dads, listen, listen, follow me. This is, it's hard being a dad. I told our first our service, it, it was, I was a great dad when I was a teenager, amen? Before I had kids. But dad, being a dad is hard. And hear me and let your heart hear me on this. This is truth. You and I are giving into a joke if we think we can educate our children on being godly while simultaneously justifying the sin and anger in their lives. It's a joke because it's unbiblical. When, when you and I try to raise up, and, and don't get me wrong, listen, I want to tell you, as I love that, and I can say this of my kids here, neither one are perfect, and they are well aware of that they live with me right? But they are both giants in their relationship with Christ compared to where I was at their age. I love being their father. But, but in their imperfection, in their growing, I am only kidding myself if I can think that I can educate them on a godly relationship with Christ while simultaneously justifying the sin and the hatred and the anger and the lackadaisicalness in their life. That is not being a father. That's failing as a father. And we were saved for more. We were saved for more, church. Our, our cry. Our, our heart in every sinful and every painful situation that we are in must be to lead others. And we can't do that if, we are, if we're not willing to look into the mirror that is Jesus Christ. Scripture says that only the foolish person looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. Why? Because when we look in the mirror, we should see the specks and the logs in our eye, and we should want to remove them to draw closer to God and to minister better to others. If we forget, we are not helping, we are kidding. Jesus says, I didn't save you to be a bunch of kidders. I made you, I saved you to be the light for the world. Mm, church. This morning, I want you to know that the moment that we live in is unique. And dads, it is bigger than us. In your flesh, with all your giftedness, this moment is too big for you alone. Praise Jesus. 
but it is not too big for the Father who sits at the head of the table who has given us a responsibility to steward the lives around us. So what do we do? Verse 5, the Bible says it this way. You hypocrite. Just If, if you want to help, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Listen, own your own. That's what Jesus says. Own your own. One of my favorite authors says this, the holier I become, the less holy I realize I am. If you have to defend your holiness, you, you don't even know. You don't even know how far you are. Because the closer we get to Christ, the less holy we realize we are. But that shouldn't stop us from drawing near. It, listen, have you ever pulled a splinter out of your finger? It hurts. Would it be better to say, man, I've got 50 splinters in my hand. I'm not even getting started because everyone's painful. I'm just going to deal with it and use my other hand. Now, that's ridiculous. The more that God works on our life, the more pain we realize is present by the, by the cause and the lashings of sin. So what do we do? Take every thought captive before the Lord. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. Remember that you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Lay every burden down and take my yoke upon you. Every answer, Dad, every answer finds itself in submission to the Father. Owning your own is saying, Dad, I want to be like you. I don't want to be you. That's you. I just want to be like you. And so if I want to be like you, Father... Would you show me every wicked way that's in me? King David would say, bring it and lead it out. Pull it out. If we are going to be the healing solution, the light of the world, the salt of the earth to a world that desperately needs us, church, then we have to be willing to own our own. Because until we do, as long as we harbor that, that hardness, as long as we harbor that sin, we can't bring healing to our own household, much less to the country that needs us, to the world that needs the gospel. Think about Nineveh. What did it take? Repenting of your sin. Think about Jonah. What did he wrestle with? His pride. Think about Peter. He had to get over his bias when the Jews and Gentiles were present together. Think about James and John. They had to get over their anger when they wanted to strike down the people who rejected them. We can go on and on and on. You and I are not alone. Sin has been surrounding us like the dark, murky waters surround the fish in the ocean. We are not alone. Our story is not singular, but our Father is. And what He shows to us, what He proclaims to us in this day is that you and I were saved for more. Not so that we could look and say, well, I did horrible or I wasn't any good, so I don't have any room to speak up. Listen, my children are better believers. They are closer with the Lord than I was at their age. By no means does the failings of my past prohibit me from leading them to Christ today and in the future. Do you know that, Father? Do you know that, Dads? Why? Because the Lord my God has got his hook in me and has rescued me from the life that I had tried to live. So it's not me who lives, it's Christ in me. 
So he can parent, he can lead, he can guide. What do you think our country needs? I have never seen in my existence a time when our country, I think supernaturally from every level, didn't have a voice drawing people together. I've seen, I've heard people try to do it. I think the sin the Lord has allowed to rise to the surface and our country is so great and so overwhelming and there's no centrality to it for one purpose. Because I think the Lord has parted the ocean right here and he has made room for his bride to be obviously different. He's made room for you and I not to share the other side of the worldly story, but to point to Jesus Christ. And to do that, we have to be willing to look into the difficult mirror of a perfect father and say, show me. I want my children to be different. Show me. I want my relationships to change. Show me. I want the sin that is harbored to find a new home. Show me. Our country will not heal until the church heals. And the church will not heal until you allow the Holy Spirit to heal you because you in Christ Jesus are the church. That may mean you have to go back on what you said yesterday. That may mean you have to delete half the things you said in the last two years. Man, count it joy when you start pulling logs out of your eye for the glory of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says about how precious you are. Verse six, do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Listen, church. You are priceless. In Christ Jesus, you have been saved and redeemed. You are a child of the King. Don't throw your lot with worldly wisdom. Don't waste your life getting behind moments fueled with sin. Step out in front. Throw your life before the Lord. Because here's what sin does with the Christian life. It rejects it. You can't infiltrate and pop in. The gospel is too bright. It's too, it's too commanding. And so don't throw the kingdom life down before a world that has not received the authority of the Father, before the men and women who are trying to sit in the Father's chair. Don't do it. Don't cast your, your life before that. Be the light that dries up the mud, that, that calls those caught in it to the life that Jesus offers. If we will be the bride of Christ, then we can see reconciliation. We can see hope. We can see change. But if we get caught up in judgment, passing judgment, well, you ladies, you might as well take your engagement rings off and throw them in the mud as if the pigs will appreciate them. They will not. You were saved and made for more. And that's the good news of the gospel.
What scripture tells us is, is that we cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord this morning, let me tell you, the hook is in the water. It's offered to you. Just receive and submit. Let the Lord bring healing and hope where you cannot have it. Church, this morning, I would be fooling myself to think that anger and hatred and sin and pride and fed up does not define parts of the lives in this room. Here's the word. It will not go away until you look into the mirror of Scripture and say, Lord, here I am. I am a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. And allow him to remove it so that he will use you to help someone else. That's the invitation today. Don't miss this moment. It's what you were made for. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, I pray that our response would be authentic. Lord, I... I know, I know the enemy desires for us to pick a side. Lord, the secret is out. Both sides are his. So let us lean into the side of our Father. Let us fall backwards into your arm. Keep us from sitting in the seat of judgment. Lord, you are the judge. And at your name, every knee will bow. So let us have good judgment, starting in our own life, so that we might help others know the joy of life to the fullest in you. Lord, as we enter into a time of response, of giving of our tithes, our offerings, of giving of our hearts to you, don't let us think this moment is for anyone else in the world. Let us know you have made it for us that we might be your light, that our children might see you in us. And through the sweet and the sour times of life, your healing hand might move. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?